0: History Happened Everywhere. The verdict. Out of office. This is our after-show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, fatherhood in Algeria during the Paleozoic. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out, or else there will be. Spoilers ahead. I need to take my tablets first. So I might take my loony pills. Hello, and welcome to History Happened Everywhere. The verdict out of office. My name is Ryan Weir and I am not in the HHE studio. This week I am sunning myself on an exotic beach with the 50 milliliter bottle to my small see-through bag. It's Mr. (laughs) Peter Goddard. Just happy to not be here, Ryan. (laughs) And with us as always, it's HHE's destination for deck chair downtime. It's the Honorable Judge Dursley. Hello, you've reached the judge. I'm afraid I'm away from the phone
1: right now. So if you please get back and leave, I'll f*** it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's an awesome message. <laughs> I hope everyone records that and uses that as their own Oh, for sure. I'm using it. <laughs> Enough of this frippery and frappery. Peter, last night I drank a mystery bottle of hooch and I passed out and and I don't remember anything of the last episode. So I was wondering, would you mind spending the next, say, 60 seconds just to sort of remind me what the heck we talked about? I'd love to. Just fire the starting pistol. All right, I'm going to do it
2: now. I took Ryan to Algeria, a country in North Africa, and we went back, way back, to the Paleozoic era, which saw the first animals emerging. We discovered that North Africa wasn't really a place back then, but was part of a supercontinent called Gondwana, which was made of all the continents we know smushed together. We toured the periods of the era and we met geologist Adam Sedgwick, the father of the Paleozoic. We also discovered some interesting approaches to dating, through the trilobite that looked sexy to attract a mate by evolving a giant fork on its head. Hello, ladies.
1: Put it away.
0: Last week's episode done, summarised nicely, nice one son, now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of me, he'll take you apart without any care, he's the lovely Paul Dursley, the lovely Paul Dursley. Ah, yes, of course. What a great episode it was, Pete. Oh, I thoroughly enjoyed doing it, I must have meant. Well, I mean, look, what does it matter what I say? Nothing. Right? Literally Zip. nothing. Nada. My opinion counts for zilch. We are here for the opinion of only one person, and that is the Honourable <laughs> Judge Dursley. So, Paul, I would ask you, what are your first thoughts about the Algerian out-of-office special?
1: Well, there wasn't
0: much Algeria in it. Well, yes, I think that's a
2: fair comment, but I would retort with "There wasn't much Algeria to be had." (laughs) (laughs) There wasn't much fatherhood in it. Oh, contraire, it was packed with guest
1: fathers.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I would say Gondwana was the father of the continents we know today. Cedric was the father of the Paleozoic. Surely, it. it
1: was the mother. Well, that wouldn't have really helped
0: my case, would it? <laughs>
1: well, things
0: like that are female, surely not male. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm more flexible on that. What, what is gender these days? Nobody knows. <laughs> Talking of Gondwana... Oh, go on. Gondwana was the largest piece of continental crust... It covered an area of 100 million square kilometres, that's about 39 million square miles, which is one-fifth of the Earth's entire surface. So, 184 Francis to a Gondwana land. <laughs> <laughs> so, you were right, it is huge. However, I do need to correct you on something. Go on. Okay, so, do you remember I said... So, is the rest of it all just water then? And you went. I think there yes. may have been some islands and. You said that, that there was, it, was yeah. nothing but water and a few small islands. Yeah. Well, that isn't quite correct, is it? Gondwana eventually colliding with North America, Europe, and Siberia and became an even bigger supercontinent called Pangaea. Well, yeah, yes, I was thinking that because Pangaea is bigger than Gondwana. It is. It's 148 square kilometres or 272 francis (laughs) to a Pangea.
2: Well, the map I was looking at, which was labelled Gondwana, Mm. had China, North America, all of that was mushed in. So either my map was a poor source or...
0: Yours was. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like those bits were, must have been hiding somewhere else, on, on maybe on the back of the bit of paper you were looking at. Well, it's funny you should say that, because
2: I did struggle to really unpick how the continents were moving. I thought it would be a matter of ease to find a this continent broke up in these ways and find a video of it or something. And it, it wasn't that easy to find a clear description of how the continents shifted. Because a a couple
0: of times it wasn't clear to me whether Pangaea was before or after Gondwana even. So, it starts with the Valbara, followed by the Ur, followed by the Kenorland, followed by the Arctica, followed by the Atlantica, followed by the Columbia, followed by the Rodinia, followed by the Panotia, followed by Gondwana, followed by Pangaea. Right. Well,
1: yeah, it it sort of goes through a cycle as they clump together and they go apart, then they clump together and they go apart.
0: Currently
2: apart, which is more interesting. Can you imagine how boring it would be to live on a supercontinent? Imagine if you lived in the middle and say, I want to go to the seaside. (laughs) It's a long way.
1: There there are some videos I've seen that sort of show them all moving. I won't say in real time, but over over geological time. In real time. But they do actually move quite fast in uh, in geological time, really. When everything is relative, isn't it? Aren't they moving at the same rate as your fingernails grow? Is that right? Is that the
0: equivalent? It's something like that, or some some of the faster ones. Ah, that's Um, very cool how did they know that these things existed are they out, like computer models and stuff to uh, work out where everything would have moved to so some of it is the, the layers of rock so you know that there's a
2: continuous uh, layer of rock that looks exactly like the layer of rock on the continent over there okay. you think oh if i line these two up it looks like actually <laughs> well, these two yeah belong it's together. it's Af-
1: it. Af- the first thing was africa and south america you just take a look at them and you sort of think <laughs> it
0: looks as if one fitted in the other and actually mm. it did and you can do that going back and back and back and back, all yes, the way back and, to the and, but, but if you
1: do that, it, it, it's sort of like when you're doing a jigsaw puzzle, as Pete was saying, with, with the rocks. You'll get a band of rocks that starts in South America, then just stops. And there's a very similar band that starts in Namibia, for example, in mm. Africa, that, that continues.
0: That's not a thing. That's an, uh, that's an example. Who'd have thought rocks could be that interesting? Well, I rocks are Rick very for one. interesting. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a picture today of someone who was holding a piece of moon rock and a piece of Mars rock on their hand. I thought that was kind of cool.
1: Did they go to the moon or Mars to get them? Well, (laughs) unlikely
0: that they went to Mars. (laughs) They wouldn't
1: have gone to Mars. They (laughs) they find them quite regularly in Antarctica, don't they? Mars rocks.
0: Bits of Mars. Hmm. How do you know it's a Mars rock when you find it? It tastes very nice. Yeah, it helps you work, rest, and play. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. So there you go. Well, Well, I accept uh, my correction then. All right. Thanks. (laughs) um i'd like to talk about trilobites Please do. Or trilobites. Or trilobites. Well, with that alone we struggled with, didn't we? Is it trill or trial? It's Ordovician as well. Should we just call them Ordovicians then?
1: No, no, no. Ordovician was the period. Oh, um, I see. So there was there
0: was a bit of shouting at the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Do we call them trilobites or trilobites? Trilobites. Okay, so trilobites. I'd like to talk about trilobites. I did a little research because I was curious about these little critters. There are over twenty thousand distinct species of trilobites. They
2: were they were busy
0: fellows, weren't they? They were all over the place too. Uh, literally all over the globe. They could grow up to seventy centimeters, size of an umbrella, two foot long, wow. or just slightly smaller than Vern Troyer, the small guy who played Mini Me and Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting yardstick. One of them <laughs> clittering up towards you would be
2: unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, nobody knows where their brain was located. Well, this is the problem of fossils, isn't it? And it's part of, I did mention the Cambrian explosion and the debate as to whether it was an explosion or actually mm-hmm. because there were a lot of hard-shelled critters in the Cambrian, mm-hmm. they happened to preserve better because if it was all smushy jellyfish, you wouldn't have seen much of anything because <laughs> most of them would have
0: dissolved or whatever jellyfish do. During a trilobite's life, they could leave potentially five or six different fossils. Oh. Because they shed their exoskeleton, which then floats down, that becomes a fossil. So in fact, most trilobite fossils that we see aren't actually the creature, they are the shedded exoskeleton. In fact, they're very rare to find a trilobite that is with the creature still part of it.
2: The, again the rarity of finding the soft parts preserved because i mentioned that there was an ammonite that they found that actually somehow the conditions were just right and they found some of the internal organs of it mm. of rather than just the shell which typically is all you find
1: they had compound eyes didn't they a bit like,
0: a bit right. like flies yeah calcium calcite or something calcite Yeah, calcite yes yeah. So it was almost like a very a see-through but yeah like a hard crystal type eye Oh, right. Yeah, it's like a fly's eye. Ah. In fact, they've been found in burial grounds dating back to over 50,000 years. So people were finding these things and not knowing what they were associated Ooh. them with mystical and magical stuff. Some people thought that they were part of Merlin's magic. Some thought they were petrified butterflies. And long before the Europeans arrived, the Parvent Ute people, they found the fossils and they thought they had special powers. So they carried them around as like a protective charm. And they gave them the name Timpe konitza Pauchi, or Little Water Bug Living in a House of Stone.
2: Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> Isn't that great? See, I read that one of the theories of Ammonites was that they had people have found curled, petrified snakes. That was one of the early theories about these things.
0: I could see that. Yeah, yeah makes sense. Curled it? up snake. They kind of curl up regularly, don't they? What, what did the Catholic Church think of all of this? I don't know. What would uh,
1: they? They, have they were only there? six thousand years old, <laughs> weren't they?
2: They're not mad keen on evolution back in the day, apart from anything else. But uh, I guess original fossils would have been considered primitive magic or something. Maybe I think more likely a test from God. We do know partially because the Sedgwick was, as a geologist, always yes. looking for evidence of the floods, the mm. the Noah's flood, and I guess other biblical type disasters. So I suppose they would have said it was a creature that was wiped out by the flood, potentially.
1: Yeah, makes sense. I I've got an Ammonite actually. Have you? Yes, somewhere in a, in a in a drawer somewhere. I don't have it on display anymore. Oh, a, along with my dinosaur turd, a neglected ammonite, and a petrified poo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I want to ask your thoughts about panspermia. Ah. So in the episode, I raised the possibility that life had started elsewhere in the universe and that uh, it had somehow naturally found its way across the universe and smashed into Earth and kick-started life. What's your your thoughts on that? Do you think that's a possibility? Tardigrades. Well, same to you, sir. (laughs) Well, aren't tardigrades
1: creatures that have been able to live in the vacuum of space? They do indeed. They they sort
0: of look look like incredibly fat pigs. Yeah, they're called water bears, aren't they?
1: Yeah. I only know the proper name for them, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) My first thought was, I think he means water bears. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, I I think the answer to your question is it's possible and maybe even probable. However, if they were, Mm -hmm. they had to come
0: into an environment which would allow them to evolve into something else that couldn't live in space scientists on the international space station have been trying to see whether or not bacteria can survive in space and they have done a three-year study where they have put samples outside of the space station and in the cold vacuum of space it has survived completely yeah in fact it mutates into huge versions of themselves and at the same time within the human body prolonged exposure to space has seen the human immune system go the opposite direction it completely tanks Yes. so what they're saying is one of the hurdles for long term space travel going to mars or beyond is that astronauts are going to come back to earth potentially with super mutated bacteria and viruses
1: and also
0: they're they're going to
1: be so incredibly weak they'll hardly be able to stand up
0: indeed don't let them in stay
2: out there astronauts you made your choice (laughs) (laughs) you're really jealous
0: you didn't get into the space scene aren't you (laughs) look space camp isn't for everyone ryan so there, uh, panspermia. It sounded like a crazy thing, but actually it is a theory that may well hold up.
2: Now, Ryan, you did ask me another question. You asked me about funguses and rot. I did, yeah. And uh, we weren't really sure of the order of events so I dug a little bit more. And there is a fungus-like fossil that has been found called Tortotubus mm-hmm. which is like little fragments of a fungus they found about the width of a hair. Okay. hey so how you find that is beyond me but that's a, that's another story. Zerk Yeah, apparently these are fungal remnants and they are believed to be the oldest known fossils of any land-dwelling organism on Earth. So it sounds like... Is
1: that the mycelium of it?
2: Yeah, this was burrowing through the soil i guess extracting nutrients from the soil so that would suggest that actually the fungus came first so that when the other vegetation came on potentially it was ready to start munching on it so there was
0: decomposition there was decay and things were getting rotten
1: putrefaction
0: lovely word. Can I talk about Mary Shelley? You can. Uh-huh. So, Jim told us that the creation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein... Oh, the, the year with no summer. ...was created during the year with no summer. Yeah, 1815, uh, volcano went off, resulting dust, ash thrown into the air, resulted in global catastrophe. And during this time, Mary Shelley and her friends hid inside and they wrote books instead of, you know, being outside and sunbathing in Switzerland. Uh, well, that volcano was Tambora Volcano, near Sumbawa Island in Indonesia, as it now is. Well, it was awesome that Jim just had that bit of information that today. That was right? remarkable. It's just a shame it was a myth. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just calling Jim out on this, I'll guess. <laughs> but it turns out that uh, the volcano definitely did erupt and it definitely caused damage. They estimate up to 100,000 people around the globe were impacted, 50,000 of those just in the region of Indonesia when this thing went off. So, I mean, it must have been a huge e- explosion when it went. But a recent study by the University of Bern in Switzerland concluded that the Tambora event played just a minor role on the impact on Switzerland. They say that actually other climate factors and random weather, plus the political economic turmoil which sort of happened at the time, was actually as a result of the end of 12 years of the Napoleonic Wars, which ended in 1815. So at that time, that's what Shelley would have been more influenced by, is, you know, hearing and seeing the results of a 12-year war and 5 million people dying. So those themes of sort of human misery, displacement, it's more likely to do with the effects of the war rather than it is to do with the Tambora volcano. Okay, but they do affect the climate. Did indeed, yeah, for sure. Just not as bad as we thought.
1: Okay...
2: So, Ron, one of the other things we talked about was that Paleozoic meant early Zoic being animals, early Mm -hmm. animals, and it was thought that was the earliest time of animals. But actually, there were animals we now know that were before that period. And I wasn't totally sure on how that had come about. But I think it was because um, the Ediacaran fauna, which is fauna, the animals and creatures that were alive prior to the Paleozoic, were discovered in uh, South Australia in 1946. So I think Paleozoic was named when they thought that was the first emergence of animals
1: oh, no but then they
2: found evidence of creatures before that so mm. suddenly paleozoic was not entirely ancient animals but very old ones anyway
0: that's the problem isn't it with naming things it suddenly <laughs> becomes a <laughs> bit more concrete it's, it's a bit awkward now isn't
2: it <laughs> they found older ones oh bum
1: yes well i suppose that's the, if you call it the devonian or the
2: yeah uh, the less meaning you put in it just
1: croydonian the period
2: the croydonian period which we're in now
1: that actually <laughs> sounds pretty good the croydonian <laughs> it does, doesn't it
2: it's better than the chiswick period
1: the chiswickian i don't know chiswickians have quite oh, good actually now Ooh, you say yeah, that
2: throwing the w in yeah
1: does alien does no that doesn't that doesn't work but <laughs> the Crudonian is quite nice that's yeah isn't that the time of the neanderthals
0: Sexual dimorphism. Yes. Uh, so you gave an example of a peacock. I did. Yeah. So I, th- I thought I'm going to look and see what other examples there are of modern day sexual dimorphism. Um, so the mandrill is type of primate, ridgy nose, also big red butt. Yes. Yes. Yeah, very famous, having a bright, vibrant coloration of their... Ass cheeks. (laughs) Um, But also size. Uh, Females weigh about 25 pounds and the males weigh up to 82 pounds. Wow, that's a massive difference. Um, Another example of, uh, of, of males being larger is elephant seals. So the males are ten times larger than females. Wow. Enormous things. Uh, They also have the large nose, like a kind of an elephant proboscis, like it's about to grow a a trunk out of its nose. They grow that during puberty and it's used to make this deep bellowing noise during mating season. And they make like a rhythmical click with their nose as well, which identifies themselves. And they're the only non-human mammal to use rhythm to recognise other members of their kind. So, Pete, if you're an elephant seer and you made yeah, click, 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 yeah. And then I'll be like, oh, Bum, 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 that's bum, a very bum, complicated bum. name but yeah like I would try and remember that and then I would be like oh look at dum 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 dum, 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 dum. <laughs> <laughs> see what he's doing over there however right that is not um, the 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 largest difference between oh, male and female. some sort of fish where the male is microscopic the triple wart sea devil angler fish that's oh. exactly it lives in the deep sea you'll have seen it it's got the big glowy blob in front of its face and the female is about a foot in length and the males barely reach each half an inch. <laughs> tiny males and they yeah they attach themselves to the females and essentially become a parasite and become permanently fused with their body like literally to the circulatory system. <laughs> yeah. That is God. codependence writ large, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's sort of just the opposite of humanity. I don't know. I've had some relationships <laughs> yeah, like that. <laughs> <laughs> The only other one that I thought was interesting, I'll throw this one in as well as a bonus sexual dimorphism, is lions. The lion mane in particular. So, we'll have all seen a big lion on the savannah with a big old hairy mane. Well, apparently, lions are the only cats to exhibit sexual dimorphism uh, and and have that mane. And it was once thought that the mane was there to protect the neck, like during fights, so the males would be fighting or whatever. But actually, when they observed male lions fighting, it seems that they attack the back and the hips. and not to go for the neck. Actually, it's just purely to attract a female for show. Just for show. Show sign of fitness.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone would be attracted to anyone who looked like they're in a '90s metal band.
0: And so, Peter. Yes, Ryan. Finally, we have come to the end of the line. It's time to step into the dock and prepare to face the People's Judge. Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Yes. Then will the defendant please rise? Certainly, sir. Your Honour, as usual, may we start proceedings by first asking for your verdict on factual content. Well, this is a very difficult one because the
1: factual content was enormously high. Mm. But the factual content for Algeria was low. <laughs> and the factual content for fatherhood was almost non-existent. Yeah. So that's difficult. So if I multiply them all together, we get a straight
0: C, I'm afraid. That feels good. I'm OK with that, <laughs> to be good. honest. OK, entertainment value. How entertained were you, Paul? I
1: was surprisingly entertained by this issue. It was nice to have some non-secretaires. You know, our little factoids being injected into the conversation.
0: Yeah, I thought so. I thought there was some good... good Chit-chat. What's your grade (laughs) for entertainment value?
1: Uh, For entertainment value, I should give you a...
0: B. This is shaping shaping up well. And finally, Your Honour, may we have the verdict for Dursley Factor. Did it tickle you? Did it interest your specific... Interest I, I, I,
1: I'm afraid I'm going to change the category for this time oh. I think it only fair for
0: me to score your guest Right, I will scratch this off and add gym factor, factor. <laughs> <laughs> so may we have your verdict for the gym factor
1: well it's changed actually because it was going to be quite high until until you pointed out ryan that some of the facts were wrong <laughs> you <laughs> st- stitched him up sorry jim <laughs> so i i was going to give an a minus but i got a b plus
0: <laughs> highly
2: respectable nonetheless
0: b plus it's better than i have anything i, have, I <laughs> Okay, so that was Jim Factor. Uh, so I guess we move on to the final verdict.
1: Well, I suppose there's yet another category, but you did some quite good voices at the start. Oh, well, in our sketches? Yes, uh, I was amazed
0: at how young you sounded. Oh, well, it will surprise you to know that that wasn't actually us no. from the past. <laughs> that wasn't really an old episode that I played a clip from. That was actually uh, the voices... Oh, I voices... Never guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> that was the voices of Seth and Elsa Coulson. Jim's children they agreed to help us out and uh, I think they did a marvellous job impersonating both me and Peter thanks oh, guys yes they're very good at reading I think that if, if there was a campaign to start to replace me and Pete then I think Seth and Elsa would be ideal candidates
1: yes I think they probably have a better grasp of the English language than you do or maybe they could do a history happened everywhere for juniors Ooh. <laughs> but we're, we're going to have to get a really precocious child to be me I love that idea <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to score them, but they did very well.
0: All right, and so we have reached the final verdict. Peter, before the judge passes his verdict, you have an opportunity now to enter a plea. If you choose to do so, please make that plea now. I would like to state that the Paleozoic is largely
2: written about in very academic terms and I'm going to share just one sentence with you that I had to unravel as part of this research. Ammonite phylogeny has mainly been established based on a stratigraphic approach with cladistics under considered. Well,
1: well what's complex about that?
2: Well the words I found particularly complex and uh, it was a lot of that kind of thing so in my defence
0: it was hard. <laughs> All right your honour the defendant stands before you Pleading a case of ignorance (laughs) (laughs) and stupidity. Have you reached a verdict? Yes, I have. In which case, I would ask most respectfully for your ruling.
1: I think A. B minus. Ooh,
2: I'm very marvelous. pleased with that. I thought it was going to be much lower.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. Ooh, got away with it. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. Please move on. Get it in the book. <laughs> Write it down, quick. Oh, it's written down. Uh, there we go, right. Um, say thank you, Your honor Let's Thank move you, Your Honour. Let's give you my honour. That's final, that's final verdict. Okay, so that is the show for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about on this show or just to say hello, you can reach out to us on social media through our website at hhepodcast.com or by email at Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. But bear in mind, we're on holiday, so it may take (laughs) us a couple of weeks to get back to you. We'd love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. And one way to definitely feature on a future episode is to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Podcast. Your recommendation can really help us bring the show to new listeners. And we're also on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. You can find us at
2: HHE Podcast and you subscribe to us there to get an alert when we post our one minute animated bites.
0: So a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure. I was trying to think of an out of office thing, but I can't. Have a great holiday. Leave a message after the sigh. That's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> and that is it. I guess all that is left to say is... You've been listening to... I did a quick search today to see what the internet would give me as the top tips for holiday makers, right? And the top 3 things were: 1, don't overplan, allow some flexibility. Number 2, wake up early to beat the crowds. I think I think the Germans have got that one covered. They've got that one nailed. And number 3, only carry what you need, right? You don't want to be spending an entire day lugging around stuff there at the end of the day yeah. you're like, why did I bring that? That's sound advice. Right. But you two have both travelled a lot particularly the judge so i was thinking we could round that up to a top five holiday tips so i was wondering if each of you could give me your top tip for travel
2: my top tip is pay the little bit extra for the better experience
0: what if you can't afford it
2: well it was originally uh, when i was a younger and poorer person and it was known as to pay the extra two pounds for when there was a uh, just a little bit more to get a little bit closer and it was always worth it i wouldn't say necessarily pay the extra hundred pounds for a helicopter if you don't have hundred pounds but in general go the extra mile when you're on holiday it'll be worth it it's your holiday exactly enjoy
0: yourself all right we're gonna add that one in yes 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 paul what's your top tip well, I have a number, but uh, the top
1: the top one is, it's expensive, but use the hotel laundry because
0: you can take a lot fewer clothes. Oh. That's really smart. It is, isn't it? My equivalent of that is, take a small bag of detergent and use the sink to wash <laughs> your pants. <bathroom. laughs> yeah, that's more my pace as well, to be honest with
1: you. But uh,
0: well, yeah, the ethic is the
1: same. I managed to do three weeks in Ecuador and the Galapagos in a bag
0: that you could actually take in the cabin. That's Mm. really smart. I actually, those are are genuinely top tips.
1: (laughs) You weren't expecting that, really. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So,
1: the the other tip sort of relates to what Pete was saying, um, which is. You know, the holiday starts when you leave the front door. So order a taxi or something to get to the airport. Mm, Bonus tips. There's nothing worse than when you land at the airport having to faff around to get home and vice versa when you're leaving. You know, your holiday starts when you leave. So order a cab.
2: Ah, see, I have a variant on that, which is I will always just pay whatever to get from the destination airport to the destination hotel. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is no time for mucking about. (laughs) But coming home and getting to my personal airport, I'm arriving, but that possibly is because I'm bang on a train On that takes me straight there i'm noticing a theme between both of you which is
0: spend
1: money on your holiday i don't know what an everlasting god stopper is